Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Stay Focused. My name is Pastor Jay Morgan. I am the director of the Appalachia Prayer Center Ministries, West Virginia Prayer Alliance, and I'm your host this evening. Today, um, our topic today is that of spiritual growth. Um, so it's kind of a continuation of several talks that, that I've given over the last uh, few days. One, I uh, talked about the message of the gospel what it really means to be saved, what it means to, to turn from your way uh, to Christ's way and surrender your life to his lordship. I'm not going to re-preach or reteach all of that. I encourage you to go back and watch that. Um, then I taught um, through a night of what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus because we are called actually to be, to be his disciples, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Uh, Jesus told his first disciples, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, uh, baptizing them in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And we learned that a disciple is actually one who is learning to be like Christ. I, I made this uh, distinction between um, uh, people think that, that the word Christian is perhaps like a lighter word, and disciple seems heavy. You know, I ask people, you know, which, which seems uh, to be sound more important and, and heavier to you, a disciple or a Christian, say I'm a disciple of Jesus or a Christian. Well, most people say, you know, being a disciple seems to be, you know, more serious. And, and while I say it is serious, it's not more serious than calling yourself a Christian. A disciple is one who's learning to be like Christ, and uh, a Christian is one that others look at and identify and say, this person is like Christ. They, that's where we get the word Christian, um, that, that suffix I-A-N, uh, means to adhere to or to be like. So we're like Christ. And a few weeks, uh, um, or excuse me, a few episodes back, I uh, also taught on uh, biblical authority. Uh, I speak about spiritual maturity a lot. Um, levels of authority and accountability within the church. Um, I've recently, I, I've spoke to you about um, a church family, how it should function, and I'm, and and I'm going to say that the spiritually mature people, and I even said that during that the teaching, that spiritually mature people should mentor others, should lead the church. I'm just going to mention that in my examination of the scripture, an, an elder is not just someone um, who has natural capabilities to lead an organization. A church elder should be someone who is spiritually mature and honestly uh, part of the fivefold ministry, an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, a, a shepherd, or teacher. Most likely most elders are going to be shepherds, and some will be uh, teaching shepherds as well. And uh, that, that, that's another topic. My, my point is, I, uh, I continually stress the idea of spiritual maturity. And I've asked the question, you know, uh, is, is it, can, can, can we say that someone is mature in the faith um, or immature in the faith? Um, is, is that being judgmental? And I'm just going to say right up front, by definition of the word, um, uh, to judge simply means to make a decision. So it's not being uh, necessarily condemning, which Jesus warned about Matthew 7, 1 and 2, even though it's translated judge not, Jesus is actually talking about the superior attitude to others. I want to get into that here in a minute. Um, so 
it, so by nature, though, uh, we're not to be condemning, uh, acting like that others are worse than we are. Uh, Jesus taught us to, to look at our own sin. But at the same time, uh, we all make judgments about everything. If you say that I'm wrong <laughs> with, with saying someone is spiritually immature or spiritually mature, if you're saying I'm judging, you, you by nature of the word, just judged me. You made a decision about my behavior. Does that make sense? So we can't get around making decisions about behavior. We all do it. Um, continually. So that's why one scripture tells us to judge with a righteous judgment. Um, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul uh, said that it's the job of the church to actually judge the church. And we're not to judge the world. God will do that. But we are to examine the lives of the church and make decisions about you know, behaviors based on the Word of God, and there are certain behaviors that we warn people to stop, and, and even in First Corinthians 5 says if they won't stop certain behaviors, to we can't count them as a brother anymore, and, and that just would not go over in, in churches today. The moment you do that, you say, uh, you know, you're not being like Jesus, and it's actually, we're going to find out Jesus and the apostles that taught us to, to do that. So, so when I bring up the, the idea of spiritual maturity, uh, first, it's kind of a knee-jerk reaction to say, well, can you really say someone's immature or not? Uh, but I, I think you can. And, and, and we're actually going to go to Scripture and build uh, the case. I've mentioned already a couple things, but we're going to build a case in a little more detail that you, you can say if someone is spiritually mature or not. And also, we're going to uh, look at what are some of the things that indicates spiritual maturity. So let's jump into it. First, let's take the example of Jesus. Uh, everyone likes to read uh, Matthew 7 and 1. Well, actually, they don't even finish one. They just say, judge not. You know, that's, that's just all they say, judge not. So if you ask any uh, uh, many people, what was the message Jesus preached? They would say, judge not. They wouldn't say Jesus preached about heaven and hell. They wouldn't say Jesus preached about sin. They wouldn't say Jesus preached about money. They wouldn't say Jesus preached about adultery. They wouldn't say Jesus preached about forgiving your enemies, loving your enemies. Uh, they wouldn't say um, Jesus um, uh, taught us the cost of discipleship. They wouldn't say any of those things. You just say, well, well the, the message of Jesus is don't judge. And, and they as, then assume that when Jesus said judge not, that he meant some things I don't think he meant. Because if you keep reading... And I, I'm talking about keep reading the same sermon, Matthew 7. Just keep reading it. You're going to find something a little more. Um, uh, let's look right here in Matthew 7, 15 through 19. It, Jesus, finishing this message, says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. So today I would say this person's a false prophet, and they're a vicious wolf, someone would say, oh, you, you can't say that. That's, that's been judgmental. That's been unlike Christ. But these are Jesus' words. He was the one that said that there are people who are disguised as harmless, but they're really vicious wolves. And you can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The answer to that is No. A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. 
a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown in the fire. Yes, you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Now when I read that, I'm going to point out kind of three observations that I'm making from the text. Okay, number one, Jesus just taught us we should not accept at face value that everyone say, who says they are of Christ truly are of Christ. He said, slow down, be careful, because not everyone who says they are of me truly are of me. And we, we didn't read all, all the rest of the passage, and that's where Jesus said that many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, and I say, I never knew you. So Jesus is saying there are people who name me, but they're really not from me. So the second thing we can learn from this is the actions that a person exhibits shows evidence of the state of their heart. Now, is it possible that someone can fool you? They can act right for a while. Yeah, that, they, they act like a sheep. They're in wolf's clothing. I mean, they're a wolf, but they're in sheep's clothing. They act like a sheep. But given a period of time, given a little bit of time, they start exposing what's really under their facade. So, the third thing we can learn from what Jesus said here was that believers bear fruit. There's good fruit. Right? He said, a good tree bears good fruit. Believers bear fruit. And when you look at the whole of Scripture, spiritual fruit is twofold. It's, it's an inward change. It's, it's the change in your character. It's the Spirit, Holy Spirit change in your character. And you start producing uh, the fruit of Galatians 5, 22 through 23, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith. You know, all of those things, those fruit. So there's an inward change. But then also that inward change begins to produce a testimony to the world that both through your action and your deeds that Christ is at work in you. Now, to be clear, these good works, these changes in your actions and deeds do not save you, but they are a result, the fruit of your salvation. So there is both an inward change that happens in your character, but that inward change begins manifesting into outward change in your actions and behavior. Now, I'm not saying that a Christian can never sin. As a matter of fact, First John tells his believers, and he makes this big case, that the Christians don't sin, and that if you continue in sin, you're of your father the devil. I mean, John makes a strong case, but he says, if you do sin, you have an advocate with the father. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to do th two things, forgive you and cleanse you. So while the, the Christian is capable of sinning, uh, what happens after their sin is a little different from someone who's not saved. One, if we confess our sin, we will be forgiven, but then God will clean us. He'll start cleaning the sin out of us. And uh, Scripture talks about that when believers sin, that there is this um, discipline of God that comes in our life, this correction. And it's not always pleasant and just gentle uh, talking. And sometimes it can be comfort and sometimes it can be challenged. But then also Scripture talk, starts telling us that, that the believer, when they sin, uh, begins to, uh, they, they hate their sin. They, they begin to despise that sin within them. And 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 so, and I, I want to get into that a little more here in just a minute, but just based by Jesus' teaching, by Jesus' teaching, yes, you can tell if a person is 
is changing. And spiritual maturity it literally means you're growing up to be like Christ. So yeah, there are some things to look at in someone's life. According to Jesus, a good tree bears good fruit. So what is that good fruit? We'll get to that here in just a minute. I mentioned a little bit of it, but we'll get to more of it here in a minute. I mentioned just a moment ago, now we're going to look at how the, the first church practices, the, the church in, in, in New Testament Scripture. Uh, at the beginning, I, I mentioned how Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 said that there are certain things that if believers continue in this, to warn them to stop it, if they continue in this, you, you can't count them as a believer anymore. What, what does that say to me? It, it says that believers live their lives in a different way. Remember when we learned about discipleship, we learned that disciples actually learn to become like their rabbi. They, and that's what we're called to do, become like Jesus. And so there are ways that Jesus lived and, and acted and reacted. And, and, and I'm just going to mention again, are, are you, am I saying that a Christian is perfect all the time? And if someone fails or, or sins, handles himself wrong, uh, does the wrong thing, that that's it, they're just not saved? No, I'm going to mention it as I have many times already that what happens when a believer sins is the discipline of the Lord in their life that believers should turn and confess their sin and expect God to not only forgive them, but start cleaning that sin out of them. There's deliverance. Uh, the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus taught us to pray, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. But then he also taught us to pray, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's why we talk about deliverance. We ask the Lord to deliver us from strongholds. I do a lot of teaching about how the behaviors and patterns and customs of the world have trained us to be like the world. But once we come to Christ, we must learn new ways of, of living and being. And because he's now our rabbi, our teacher. And so, so um, while we don't know everything God would want from us the moment we're saved, in order to be saved, we have to surrender our will and say, Lord, whatever it is that you want from us, uh, for me, I will do. You're my Lord now. I will not live my life following my desires. If I'm Lord of my life, then I do what I want. If Jesus is Lord of my life, I do what he wants. So the example of Jesus is, is yes, you can tell spiritual fruit. You can you can tell if a person... Um, is being changed on the inside by their behaviors on the outside. The, exa the example of the early church, the first church, um, with Apostle Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 5, yes, you can tell if a person is exhibiting behavior that Christians must turn from. Again, in another place in Galatians 6, Paul says that if someone is, is, if fails and someone is sinning, those who are spiritually stronger should restore that person with gentleness and and put them back on the right path. And here's the thing, if you're never allowed to tell someone they're on the wrong path, how can you put them on the right path? I'm thinking about the example also of Jesus who told the woman that the, her accusers, you know, asked him, you know, uh, Moses lost that she should be stoned. What do you say? And he said, if you're without sin, you cast the first stone. And then he turned to the woman and what he did not say is this, well, no one's, no one's never allowed to tell you that you're doing something wrong. Shame on them. No, he looked at the woman and said, I, I don't condemn you, but go stop sinning. He's just flat said, there's some things you need to stop doing. 
Wow. Okay. So if it's being unchristlike to tell someone there's some things they should stop doing, then Jesus was unchristlike because he did it. The apostles did it. So this is important that we have healthy biblical teaching that's based on the word of God, not based on emotions and keep you know and trying to figure this 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 middle of the road place out that we can live as a Christian where we never we keep everyone happy. Jesus himself said, if you follow me, if you speak my words, then if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Now, that doesn't mean you should be a hateful person. But then again, for some people, if you ever tell them they're doing something wrong, then you're a hateful, mean person. But I would say that love motivates me to say, hey, you know, we, we, need, to, you know, we need to stop this. So the example of Jesus is that you can tell about someone's actions, what is right and wrong. The example given by by the early church, the first church, is you can can tell this. And I'm going to go on and just talk about um, a little bit about the early church of of the first couple of hundred years. There's a there's a writing. There's some writings that um, that we can look at with with the early church documents that that. Often for a span of three years, early church leaders would instruct a new believer and then inspect their life in order to see what they would say, is there evidence of Christ in this person? And they would literally just see if there was changes in this person. And, and this was even before they would baptize them into the church fellowship. Now, uh, they, they would look to see if there's character changes, if they had compassion, if they visited the sick, if they cared for the poor. Uh, often, uh, many of the things that we would look for in a pastor, the, the early church looked for before they would even baptize you and accept you as a Christian into the fellowship. And they would do it over a period of time. Now, while many would think it's kind of extreme to, to cause someone to wait three years before you baptize them, and, and, and my personal belief is that the person could be baptized first, uh, we have to admire, though, the actions of the, of the early church to, to make sure that a person who confessed faith in Jesus was actually following Jesus. And I would say that before we accept people into our church fellowship and, and call them brother or sister, that it's not unbiblical, and it's not outside of the church record um, to look at their life, and not just for a couple of weeks, but over a period of time to see if there's evidence of Christ in them. And of course, during that time, they're growing up, right? And so there'll be some failures, but we want to see how they react to the failures. We want to see how they're dealing with their sin. We're, we want to see how they react to correction. We want to see if there's uh, evidence of compassion and character change in their lives. So all of this is to say, and I could keep going, I could give uh, examples throughout church history, but I would just stop right now with Jesus, the apostles, and the first and the early church all believed that you could observe marks of spiritual maturity. Now, um, I, I want to jump real quick into some of those marks. What are some of those marks of, say, this person is growing to be like Christ, and I'm not sure if this person is saved. Let's go to 1 John 2. And notice this. In 1 John 2, um, starting in verse 12, the Apostle John says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. 
I am writing to you fathers because you know him who was from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. And then he kind of repeats this thing, uh, the same thing in verse 14, uh, except he adds one more thing to the young men. He said, I'm writing to you young men because uh, you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So notice this. Okay, so he said, I'm writing to you spiritual, spiritual children because your sins are forgiven. So he was writing to three groups of people, spiritual children, spiritual fathers, which we would say is a mature Christian, and then spiritual young men. We would say that's that period in between being a child and, and uh, an adult, right? Uh, I, I would say it's like spiritual puberty, okay? So in this, Paul, uh, excuse me, John is writing about how the believer grows up. So you move from a point of just being a forgiven, reborn child of God, and so here's some things you look at. A spiritual, a spiritual father, a spiritually mature person, one, has this history of knowing God, of knowing the Father. So one mark of spiritual maturity is, is this person, I would say, knows how to pray, knows how to hear God, knows God's voice. So they have grown, grown to this point of just being born again to... Um, um, have an intimacy with the Father. And so when you look at someone who, if, if you're saved, if you're born again, you're growing up spiritually, one of the marks that we look for, is there a desire to be with God? Do we desire His presence? Do we desire to know Him? Do we desire to commune with Him? Do we desire to talk to Him and hear from Him? And so is there a desire for closeness with God in their life? Second, we look at these the, the spiritual young men. So these are people who are maturing, and they're growing strong in the Word. So a desire for the Word of God is important, I believe. Um, and, and, and that shows the mark of growing up spiritually. So there's a desire to know God, to grow close to God, but then there's also a desire for His Word. We uh, uh, Peter says that we should crave um, the Word like a baby craves milk. Now, here's the thing about a baby. If it's born, it's hungry. Unless there's something wrong, the child immediately begins to cry out for food. And if a person is born again, then they cry out for food. They want the Word of God. They want the intimacy with God. They want the Word of God. And then a spiritual mature person is someone who is growing strong in the Word. So they're growing strong relationship to God, they're growing strong in the Word, but they are also learning to overcome the evil one, and this is a big one. So a spiritually mature person is a person who is learning to overcome, tear down the spiritual strongholds in their own life, to break those patterns of sin in their own life. I do a lot of teaching on this. Uh, I do freedom encounters often, which are day-long events where we just look at uh, what a spiritual stronghold is, this pattern of sin. Um, we look at the Word of God, at the definitions of sins for, um, uh, I'm just going to say for New Testament Christians, because people kind of get bogged down with arguing about the law and stuff. And, and, and so I just say, let's just start with the New Testament, what it clearly, plainly says it's a sin that Christians should stop doing. So we, we start there. Uh, looking at the sinful works of the flesh and things like that, Galatians 5, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, a couple other passages. And so 
Um, in these freedom encounters, we, we begin to identify sin, but then we learn we learn tools to tear that sin down because we have to start allowing our mind, as Romans 12 says, to be transformed. The culture around us, the world around us has taught us to think a new way. But if Jesus is our rabbi, our teacher, our Lord, well, we use his teachings, the word of God, and we begin to think new ways. We begin to have new values, new opinions. I remember some, one time a person came to me and and uh, I've been doing this a long time, so I've had a lot of people come to me with a lot of different attitudes. And I remember looking at me and just kind of, just real kind of snarky and said, well, just because I go to church doesn't mean I'm going to change who I am. I'm like, well, you're right. I mean, anyone can go to church. Going to church doesn't mean you're going to change who you are. But if you're saved, he changes you. If you're saved, you look at the Word of God and you say, Lord, change me. If you're saved, if you're born again, the Father starts conforming you into the image of Jesus. And there's marks of that. You begin to love the Father. You're not just looking at the Father for what you can get out of Him, but you grow in intimacy with the Father. You start growing strong in the Word. And then you start dealing with sin. So I was talking about in Freedom Encounters, we, we learn what sin is. We, we learn uh, how to apply the Word to start tearing down the strongholds in our lives. We, we pray for deliverance. We get a plan in place to begin cooperating with the Holy Spirit as we push into overcoming this sin. And, and so a mark of spiritual maturity is a person who knows where their weaknesses are with sin. And it is, as the writer of Hebrews said, that you get to the point where you have to start casting off that sin that so easily besets you. We all have besetting sins. We all have a propensity toward a certain sin or, or a handful of sins in our lives. And it doesn't help to just point out three or four sins and say, hey, if I'm not guilty of those, I'm okay. When the bottom line is, is your sin will cause you spiritual death. You might not sin in a in, 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 in this way or that way, but if the Word of God says you're doing things in your life that sin, you have to know what those are. You have to dig them out. You have to overcome them. So here's some marks of spiritual maturity. A person who really develops intimacy and knows the Father, knows His voice, desires to be with the Lord. The person desires the, the, the food of the Word of God, and they're growing strong in the Word, and they're overcoming the enemy. And I want to say that another mark of, of a spiritual mature person is they begin to learn how to relate to people as Christ taught us to relate to people, where they love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, but they begin to love their neighbors and love themselves. A, a mark of spiritual maturity is taking on the teachings of Christ and how we act and react to others. Um, and, and again, as I've already said, that doesn't mean we never tell someone what they're doing is wrong. But what I'm talking about is we start learning to treat our enemies different. We start learning to, to treat our friends different. We start learning how to... to um, treat people in a way that Christ said. We start learning how to, to resolve our conflicts. And a spiritual mature person uh, learns how to resolve their conflicts the way that Christ taught us, for instance, in Matthew 18, 15 through 17. So I'm just giving you a handful of marks of a person. So when I, when I say a spiritual mature person, it's a person who's growing strong in these areas. And to the point that, that I mean, we'll keep growing and, until we die, the Lord takes us and we're with the Lord. We'll keep growing in, in all areas. But it's, it's to the point let me, uh, that you've grown to the point that, let me, let me put it this way, it's, 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 like, um, it's like having uh, children. As they often say, there's never a good time. That, like, you're never really ready to have a, a child. But you can be more ready at certain points in your life than, than others. Uh, for instance, um, if you've got a good income, a good job, um, you're in a strong marriage, 
you got some you have somewhere to live um, you probably are more prepared to have that first child than just say someone um, a single mother who's it was 14 so we want to get you to the point that where you're maturing spiritually um, to where you're actually able to help others come along. Now, will you keep growing? Yeah, yes, and the whole time you're parenting, uh, you learn and grow. Uh, but there are certain things that make you more suited to begin parenting, and that's what we're talking about. And so when you're talking about church leadership, when you're talking about um, uh, spiritual mentors, these are people who are growing in these areas that I'm talking about. They're growing in the areas of, of intimacy with God. They're growing in the areas of being strong in the Word. I mean, that don't, don't mean they, they have to have a Bible degree, but they, they, they're, they're reading the Bible. They're learning how to, to apply the Bible to their lives. They're, they're dealing with their sin. They know where their shortcomings are. And they're not just making excuses for it anymore, but they're actually overcoming and, and seeing victory. Uh, someone who, who is learning to relate to people the way Jesus said and, and, and the way Jesus taught us to. And as someone who's given their life to to the, what, what Jesus said in Matthew 20, 18 through, 18 through 20, go make new disciples. So they're, they're sharing the gospel with others. Paul said that God has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation and, and Christ's love compel, compels us. And so if a person is born again and Christ is alive in them and growing in them, that they will start being compelled to tell others about Christ. And so the spiritual mature person don't necessarily have to be a, an evangelist or a pastor or a Bible teacher. But there's just someone who's growing in these areas that I'm talking about. So you should desire to grow in these areas because I promise you, if you're born again, these are not foreign concepts to you. Those desires are in you. And so you need to learn how to grow in those desires. You, you need help in, in growing in each of these areas. And, and as I wrap up this teaching, I'm going to say there's two things that will help you grow in these two areas. One, it's just it's just like uh, any other program. Let, let me give you an example. If I would tell you, um, listen, I have a $10,000 reward for you right now. If you would go, if you can run 10 miles. Now, some of you are able to do that. You could probably do that. You might get a little winded, but you could you could you could run these 10 miles. A lot of us, no matter how hard we tried, we would not be able to run the 10 miles. Uh, we might probably couldn't even crawl the 10 miles. But what if, what if I presented another scenario and I said, you know, one year from now, there's going to be this, this competition. And if you run 10 miles, I will pay you $10,000. But you have a year. And over here is a person who, who knows how to run the 10 miles. They, they've run many, many 10-mile races. They've done it themselves. They, they know how to run this 10-mile race. And they, they're offering to, to train you over the next year. Now, probably most, many of us, most of us perhaps, if after a year of training with a person who knows what they're doing, we could probably run the 10 miles or at least do a whole lot better than we are doing now. See, what I'm saying is there's a difference between trying and training. Trying is just doing the same thing over and over and over again, maybe with just a little more enthusiasm, okay? Training is learning how to do it different. What's the right way? What's the wrong thing? How do, how do I need to breathe different? How do I need to exercise different? What muscles do I need to build? So, so there's, there's two elements that you need in your life is you need a good 
coach, a spiritual mature person who can help you grow in those areas I just told you about. But you also need a good uh, um, a system that can help you dig through the Word of God and grow in these areas. And so the coach can train you and give you feedback because they've been there. But then the system will guide your efforts. I, I, does this make sense? I hope it does. So God wants you to grow up from the point of being a spiritual child, and he wants you to transition to the point that you are a spiritually mature adult who's a mother and father in the faith. Maybe you're not there right now, but with the right environments in your life, one, number one, if Jesus is your Lord, you're born again, the Holy Spirit's in you, there's desires. You're, you're wanting these things. Get the right mentors in your life. Get a good training program in your life to where you can learn and then start applying it. And you're going to grow up spiritually. I hope today was a blessing to you. I hope it helped. hope it made sense. If it did, share it with others. And then send me questions you have. I, I'm, I'm up for that. Send me any questions you have from today. And you all take care. You have a blessed day. I will talk to you real soon.